No one ever told five? me that. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know who's running this train, but you know, no one oh. apparently. <laughs> so what's been happening? Anybody doing anything interesting? One thirty-five. Wow, it seemed like we just yeah. did one thirty-four yesterday. Uh, what have we been doing interesting? Um, I'm. It was. It the weather was crappy here this morning. I was going to go flying this morning, but I didn't go, and now I'm. I'm off this week. This is. I just don't even know what to do with myself this week. Uh, <laughs> I. You know, I had three days off last weekend, and that just pretty much stumped me. And now I've got a whole week off, which. Uh, and. and uh, but so I, I'm going to do a bunch of flying. I'm going to go flying at least. I was going to say a couple do days laundry, go fly. Yeah. Uh, I may even try a new airplane this week. I, uh, I'm going to go up. And, go. I'm going to go up and do some hours in the uh, in the Gobosh, and I'm going to do that. And uh, Wednesday, I went out. I needed a mental health break, and I went down to Dead Cow. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was pulling in the parking lot, I could see these boys that uh, have been working on this J4 Piper J4. Mm-hmm. Uh, warming up the engine. They've been working on a rebuild since they caught landed in some soft sand and it did a slow flip over. So they took the opportunity to do some other repairs and they were getting ready to leave to go back to Talkeetna, Alaska. Jeez. In a J four Piper. That's seventy five horsepower. Huh? That's hardcore also. Yeah. We were talking we we're talking about hardcore in Dallas to Manassas or Frederick, Maryland in an R twenty two right last week. That's hardcore. Yeah. That's the J four thing to to Alaska, that's hardcore. You wanna get the kicker? Yeah. Huh? They they got here from Alaska in that airplane. <laughs> yeah. I'm they not sure decided to take time off last year and fly down and see relatives before they went back and tried to start up a little bush flying business that they're going to build around the J-4. And uh, they were landing at a private strip where there are some cabins that belongs to some friends or relatives. I didn't never got quite straight on that part of it. And uh, they're landing next to this big pond in this nice open area, and airplanes have landed there before. And, well, they find the softest, sandiest part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Airplane does a kind of a slow tail over nose. Uh, some things get bent. Some fabric gets torn. Uh, they take it apart and haul it off. And it's been a dead cow for the last two and a half, three months. Uh, they did some recovering work, some repainting. Uh, got to uh, rebuilt the engine, put new Millennium cylinders. It's funny seeing Millennium cylinders on a 75-horse Continental. Uh, really? <clears throat> It might be, yeah. a, you know, a, a, 70, a 71 horse Continental now. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, got there just in time to watch him uh, do the mag check and head out through the Nordo corridor to the south of Dead Cow. And uh, from the looks of it, they were planning on making the turn to the north somewhere around the Oklahoma border. <laughs> but. So far, I haven't heard that anything bad has befallen them, and we're figuring realistically probably sometime after Wednesday this coming week, if they're flying six to seven hours a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's and great. And here's, here's to the boys in the J-4. Yeah, really. Yeah. 
Jeb, you were talking about somebody flying a uh, a, a, a helicopter, an R twenty two. Yeah, we, we, from, we talked about this last episode. Right. I, think. I came across uh, a, a guy uh, here in the New England area who apparently is based out of I'm not sure if it's Bedford or Nashua, but it's someplace here in in the you know New England who apparently ferries R twenty twos from like the west coast, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's a long trip too. He uh, mm-hmm. he's he's actually got a blog. It's a guy named what's his Philip Green. Spun green spun. Oh yeah, yeah. I've talked with him before. You have. Okay. He's uh, he's um, very knowledgeable on our um, both uh, R twenty two and R yeah. From reading R-44. his forty four, I read his blog yeah. occasionally, and yeah, he's he's very passionate about it. And uh, I I you know I shouldn't I don't know his exact situation. I get the feeling that he may be a principal in one of the FBOs uh, that's uh, someplace around the area. That's but, that's possible. Uh, um, I but don't he's know certainly he... very active and very passionate yeah. about aviation and uh, and particularly about helicopters. It appears and uh, so, uh, but he he tells stories about how he ferries airplanes or not airplanes, helicopters, R twenty twos, like the whole yeah. country. And, so, and he just from reading his blog, I mean, this is just not doesn't even begin to be an ordeal to him. It's like total joy, you know, adventure. He loves it. Tells all these stories about going from you know just all in the same kind of story you read about anybody else flying long cross countries. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, a friend of mine here, Hans Mulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hans is in his seventies now. Not the uh, X Files guy. No, that was Fox Mulder. Oh, okay, right. uh, his brother Hans Mulders, and uh, they could be related. This is tangentially. A distant, 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 distant uncle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hans, Hans was a young, uh, was a preteen boy in Holland during World War II, and uh, he he grew up watching airplanes and. When he got the chance, he uh, tried to get into the uh, Dutch Air Force or Dutch Naval Air Corps. Uh, I think that they uh, they brought him in, but they, he wasn't going to get to be a pilot. He went to Canada, got to be a pilot. He flew for the U.S. Uh, for years, he made his living flying uh, navigation station planes hmm. and, and uh, patrol planes in the Pacific uh, and then he started a ferry business here in the Wichita area. And, you know, when airplanes were shooting out the door by the, out of Wichita by the thousands a year, piston airplanes, uh, he had quite a, quite a little business going, delivering airplanes all around the world, uh, everything up to including, you know, some, uh, transport category stuff. And, uh, he, uh, He's had some interesting experiences over the years, you know, flying across Africa, uh, getting through the east, uh, the western uh, Pacific Rim. Uh, and Bill Cox, you guys might know Bill Cox at Plan and Pilot. That's yeah, how he predominantly mm-hmm. makes his living is ferry flying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could be an mm. interesting way to make make some extra money flying. I guess you know, you get to log some I, hours I've and- often thought about it. Um, as uh, you know, uh, how do you a get summer's in- vacation or something? I don't know. How, um, how do you get into that kind of thing? Do you got to know somebody, or can you can you apply for the job, or how does that work? You can get a commercial ticket, and hang out a shingle, commercial an instrument, and you can hang out a mm-hmm. shingle. No, I and mean, I've got all that, so I could hang out a shingle. But you still need the contacts, and and you know, um, it'd be nice to to do it once or twice if someone who knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah, because uh, I I would not know the first time what the hell I was doing. 
Well, domestically, so. it's no different than... Right. You know, that, oh, domestic. Any forget other, domestic. Any other trip where you flying a yeah, 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 yeah. You know, forget domestic. That's not stuff. an issue. Yeah. yeah <clears> international stuff is a whole different kettle. Yeah, it's that whole, like, flying the North Atlantic thing that's pretty sobering. I'm not sure Yeah. that, but... Yeah, that's... We, we learned that on the two international trips that we did. Second one entirely on our own. First one, we let came in caravan show us how it's done. And, and what was the other time, one? Next time, we just did it. W- what was that trip? Mexico. Oh, that's right. Flew you around about. the Bay of Campeche and across right. the Yucatan to Cancun. Senor Capitan Higdon. That's the one. Yeah, I remember that. El, 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 El Piloto Loco. <laughs> <laughs> Members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Welcome, folks, to episode 135 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday evening, May 17th, 2009. And let me say hi to the gang here in the virtual hangar. Uh, Senor, let's see, Pileto Capitan Loco is uh, Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you? Ah, oh, muy bueno. <laughs> what are you up to these days? You caught up yet after uh, after not being able to do any real work for Sun and Fun? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm uh, wrapping up two pieces, three pieces in the next week, and uh, and then I'll be working on getting ahead for uh, for June because I want to try to take a few days and go back and uh, visit my mother in Indiana and see the kids and grandkids mm-hmm. before we start necking down to the pre-departure funnel for Oshkosh. Yeah, yep. Here we go again. But yeah, here we can't go wait, again. Can't wait. Right. Hey, that other voice here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from Sarasota County, Florida. And, uh, <laughs> I'm determined I'm going to get this right from now on, but uh, uh-huh. anyways. How you doing, Jeb? What's up with you? Just living la vida loca, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm fine. You know, it's been... Very nice down here. It's we got into the rainy season, so <clears throat> you get up in the morning. It's like sixty-five, something like that, and uh, by noon, one o'clock, it's like pushing ninety. But by three o'clock, it's all clouded up. There's a breeze. It's down to about sixty, you know, about seventy-five, eighty, and then it rains for like four or five hours, cools everything off again, and and boom, you get up and do it the next day. I guess. Um, I th- it, it makes makes you want to do your flying early, though. Right. That, see, that's yeah, it, what is, it is a weather engine there, that part yeah, of Florida. It really is. It see, really that's, is. that's the part of living in Florida that, that would get me is, is the humidity part. And uh, I guess you aren't even really to the humidity part of the year yet, are it, you? No, not really. The thing about no. um, as long as you've got some air moving, right. which is not hard to do in Florida, and you're in the shade, you know, it's it's going to be about like anywhere else. You get out in the sun, especially in the heat of the, in the, in the, in the peak of the summer – and it'll take your hide right off. Yeah. 
<clears throat> but uh, I, I just can't do humidity anymore. I, I lost my ability to do humidity when I lived in California. But I was in, as many people know, I was in Dallas two weeks ago. It was amazingly humid when we were in Dallas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then surprisingly, I was in Philadelphia last week. It was incredibly humid last week or this this past week in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, obviously it gets, Jack, Jack, it Jack. gets humid I mean, in Philadelphia, it, it, but not this time of year. Outside Phoenix, uh, you know, put a city and the word humidity together it's like the name game no no, 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 no. The 60s i mean it the san francisco it bay area so the san francisco bay area outside of san francisco for that matter california well outside. you just said it outside of san francisco yeah but you got san jose you got sacra you got central valley all these things are big cities that don't have a lot of humidity and it gets, gets very warm anyways uh and i'm jack hodgson and i'm talking to you from the home office in uh, in uh, not quite humid yet but uh, i'm sure it's getting there dover new hampshire <laughs> You'll get yours. U- yeah. UCAP World Headquarters. UCAP World Headquarters. That's right. So uh, let's see now. So we got furniture. We got aviation furniture. This is like, uh, David, you found this. What's uh, do do? So tell me this. Do do any of you guys? Do either of you guys? Do any of the three of us have any decorative aviation things in their home? Yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not. They're not mounted. Um, I've got a propeller. It's it would be an airworthy propeller if it hadn't delaminated. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, in a in a box, it's the thing's got to be um, eight feet uh, long. Okay. So an eight foot diameter. I don't know what it came off of. Uh, I've never mounted it on the wall. Uh, it's going to be you know a great you know a little conversation piece once I do mount it. I've had it a couple of years. I just never got around to mounting it. Um, now is your lady friend going to allow this into the living room, or this is not this is not aimed at the living room. This is going into this the, would not be the, the this upstairs would not be the rumpus room. This there. Would be up, yeah, this would be upstairs. The trick is mounting it, and I've just got a craft, you know, uh, a backing plate and and some attachment uh, mechanism. It's not a huge deal. It's just not a high priority. Um, the other piece I've got is a uh, shadow box. I don't know if you're familiar with what a shadow box is. Basically, it's a rectangular box with. Um, three-dimensional um, aviation artifacts that are mounted to the base of the box, bottom of the box, and then um, there's a piece of glass that slid over the front, and you hang that on the wall. Right. Um, that was a gift from uh, a good friend several years ago. And it's got aviation doodads in it? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Like, for example, give me a couple. What, what, oh, God, you know, I haven't seen it lately. It's, it's in a box upstairs also. But I just, you know, something else. small things. We're not talking propellers here. Yeah, it's it's maybe a foot and a half high and, and three wide, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got, you know, things like, um, I don't know, air metals, um, uh, a couple of aviation parts, I mean, a couple of aircraft parts. Um, you know, things like that that are mounted to the backboard. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a very nice piece. Yeah. David, what do you got? Uh, I've got a propeller off of a uh, target drone that actually flew target practice during World War II. Uh, I've got the... Successfully, I would, say, I would add. What's that? Successfully flew target practice. Uh, well, yeah, apparently. Uh, Wait a that's right. <laughs> it, it, it might have gotten shot down, but the prop wasn't damaged. I've got a display prop that's uh, about the size of something that would have come off an old OX-5 mm-hmm. airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, a uh, shelf that's made out of a, a wooden rib, uh, a hand-built rib. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
then you know some airplane models, uh, oh, knickknacks, memorabilia, stuff that I've picked up at events and shows along the way. But that, I don't have anything uh, in the way of the furniture art. To, to, uh, that, yeah, clearly I'm, I'm behind the curve here. I may need to get some stuff. I, all I have is some photos um, and posters and things. But uh, so you've pointed out, called our attention to a uh, a uh, art. Uh, I'm not sure what you call it. A, a, it's a gallery that that is that is uh, showing off all sorts of aviation art. That it's sort of. I mean, how would you describe these things, David? They use predominantly airframe pieces mm-hmm. from old aircraft to make things like benches, chairs, tables, shelves, uh, armoires. Uh, like they can pay, take a couple of flap sections and uh, with some handcrafted parts, put two pieces of flap together to form a bench with a back on it. Uh, this isn't the first time I've seen something like this. There were some guys that were heavy at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh. Yeah, these are the guys that I was ago. thinking of when you saw when you, I thought this is who, at first I thought oh this must be here talking about. They're called Moto Art. Um, right. That was the other, the other guys. And Moto, they, you can go. You find their, their website is motoart.com. You know how I found these guys? They did, and they do these really kind of dramatic pieces. Sometimes very large scale pieces where they take yeah. large components, wings, and 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 hunks of fuselage and stuff, and they well, clean they, them up. They, and they were doing the circuit for one year, selling uh, mostly furniture pieces, right? You know, room pieces, uh, functional. Uh, and some display stuff like uh, pistons from a B-17 engine that had been turned into a piece of table art that was pretty f- phenomenal. Right. Uh, but I think they found out that aviators, by and large, uh, will bring home a piece of junk and cobble together a piece of functional art and save the money that they didn't spend on that or this and you know maybe buy garmin 396 yeah really because i get the feeling their customers are really kind of uh, deep pockets you know like you know yeah corporate yeah. so you know they, they actually came to stuff. they came to my attention you know they were the subject of a reality tv show about uh, right. three four years ago five six years ago whatever it was um yeah because when they showed up the, at sun and fun their, their first big stop and it was like oh wow the guys from this show and it's like wow that's fabulous never freaking heard of it yeah. uh. the thing that always bugged me about this and this applies not only to these guys but all the other ones as well a big component of the reality show was how they actually found the stuff that they turned into mm-hmm. furniture and sure. they right. didn't merely find debris they went out of their way to find admittedly you know not no longer airworthy aircraft but then then they'd cut the wings off you know and they'd and it just kind of right. i wasn't totally comfortable with the idea that that was what we were doing with you know, I just kind of felt like there ought to be a better. Well, they weren't snatching, you know, uh, salvageable wing sections off of piston singles uh, to turn into anything. They were, you know, getting air carrier and military aircraft parts, right. flaps and ailerons and wing panels, uh, engine nacelles that they were turning into into functional objects. Uh, you know, they were they they were tapping. So you think this is okay? Really you're you're, you're not troubled by the idea that you're turning a wing into a table. And, uh... Well, and looking at, for example, some of the stuff that they're um, 
marketing, I see a, uh, a C-130 wing desk, uh, an F-86 executive desk, uh, which looks to be like horizontal stabilizer or something from an F-86. Um, that's probably the rarest. Uh, well, there's a C- C-97. I don't know what a C-97 works out to be in, in civilian. I think that's um, um, uh, like a DC-6 or something. But um, I'm sure all of these parts have come from a graveyard. Yeah. And they put a lot of effort uh, and, and, into cleaning them up. Yeah, I mean, in that I'm, regard. I'm equally sure that, you know, we're not going to be ever run out of C-130 wings, so I'm not too, but, I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah, we, um, we're continuing to build C-130s. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there's, like there's, this, some interesting, uh, there's some interesting the pieces in here. club yeah. chair made out of an A7 Corsair cockpit canopy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, okay, well... I'm not sure if I'm ready to go out and buy a a, a high priced you know table. No, I'm, made out. I'm not either. But not I think either. I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the fly market in, at Air Venture this year with a little bit different eye, and maybe I'll find myself some <laughs> some. Uh, it, it, it'd be interesting to have um, a few first class section seats. Yeah. Uh, for example. Yeah. Um, do, yeah. What you could do with those, it would be interesting to. Um, um, you know, have some other furnishings from an airline cabin. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, some people, you know, just get a fuselage, stick it in the backyard and use it for guests. I have, put a flight I sim in it, you know, and, uh, put a flight sim get in a it. Cockpit yeah. And, uh, you know, put some, put flashing some, uh, lights and, and, uh, <laughs> put some, yeah. put some powered, uh, hydraulic jacks underneath it to make it move. And, uh, yeah. they, they should probably point out that if you need, you know, some re- if you want to update your, Aircraft furniture, in any way, you do not need a Form three thirty seven field approval. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. That's yeah. not an STC kind of situation. Like we're I, I don't. I don't know if. Uh, I mean, I don't see anything. Excuse me. I got the yawns. I don't see anything super rare in there, so I'm not too concerned about okay. you know converting well, a piece of aviation history into something unusable. We'll take that as a sign, Jeb, that we should move on to another subject. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sorry. I, I, it's, it's been a long weekend. We've reached a milestone this week. And and I'm probably the only person that keeps track of these kinds, or cares to keep track of these things. I know I'm the only person who does keep track of them. Um, With this episode of the podcast, we will have reached uh, a combined total content time of uh, over 168 hours. Now, 168 hours is significant because 168 hours is seven days. We now have in the can one week's worth of uncontrolled airspace. If you listen, well, now there's a promo line for the audience. Yeah, uncontrolled airspace. We've been on for seven whole days. That's right. So I still, <laughs> you know, and it doesn't happen as much as it used to. But every now and then we hear from a new listener who says, "I just discovered the podcast and I'm listening to all the episodes from number one in order." And I'm going, "Oh my gosh, that's like wow," <laughs> <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah. but now, so now it would take you, it would take you an entire week, twenty four seven, to listen to every single episode back to back man there's there's got to be an independent movie script in this one uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. seven days of ucap it's some sort of Will reality show right yeah it's some sort of reality yeah. show so somebody's already done six days and seven nights or something like that so yeah, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyways hey i came across an article um in uh 
Um, another one of our favorite aviation publications, fastcompany.com. Uh, Fast Company is actually a pretty decent uh, business magazine that has a sort of technological uh, uh, bent to it. And uh, they had an article in a recent issue. Um, the, the headline is, Inside the Next Gen GPS-Based Airplane Landing System. And I saw this headline. I thought, oh, it's an, it's an article about uh, about ADSB, and uh, and I start to read this thing, and the, the the term ADSB is not used one single time in the article. They refer to something that they're calling GBAS or GBAS, ground based uh, augmentation system. Right, and apparently this is a a, a, a proprietary what Honeywell. Uh, system, and I get the feeling that Honeywell probably drove the creation of this article, and that's what yeah. it's all about here. GBAS is different than ADSB. Is this another competing system that may or may not happen? What, what's the going on here? It's the first time I've seen anything in detail about GBAS, so I really don't have a uh, an intelligent response. Um, David, you're the one who's pretty tuned into it, ADSB stuff. What do you know? Well, I I wrote a little bit about GB GBAS for. Uh, Avionics News, uh, a couple of issues back in, an, in a story about Australia's progress toward an all-ADSB-based system. And uh, Australia is adopting GBAS, for lack of a better pronunciation, for its four biggest airports because it has this uh, benefit of being basically uh, a little ground network that can cover 26 different, that can provide precision approach guidance to 26 different runway ends at once without a specific ILS or specific station dedicated to that runway end. Uh And it basically uses the uh, uh, GPS receiver in the airplane uh, driving a CDI like an ILS needle. Right. And so how is this different or the same than, than ADSB? Well, ADSB is more a uh, is more a surveillance. Oh, I see what uh, you're saying. It has than well, it is a, a a guidance tool. Isn't it the intent though that ADSB eventually comes ADS whatever not B is? Well, ADSB well, is intended as a replacement for radar. For radar, primarily. but but isn't the the concept that eventually we'll also use it as a as a way of navigating and finding much more you know precision uh, approaches in places that don't have ILSs? Uh, basically, GPS. No, 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 not at all. No, okay. I thought that was sort of phase two that we'd we'd see around the year twenty fifty no, or something like uh, that. One of, one of the one of the underpinning aspects of ADSB that was me bashing uh, next gen for by precision. The way. So that people can be really precise about where they are, and the controller's information be really precise, depends on WAS GPS receivers to get the maximum precision, because it's the GPS data that ADSB broadcasts to everybody else. Right. If you have an ADSB out airplane, it sends out your heading, your altitude, your ground speed, uh, right. several times a second. And so that is can this... be picked up by controllers and airplanes equipped with ADSB in. GBAS is the closest I can come to it is we had uh, an experimental system here in the states uh, a decade or so ago called LOS, Local Area Augmentation System, and what it was was a, a, a precisely identified ground station 
they used special survey techniques so that the GPS receivers could receive a corrected signal. This little box on the ground would receive the GPS signals from satellites from outer space and provide a correction based on knowing where it was. Right. Is this similar to what way, 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 way back when we called differential GPS? Well, that's the root of it was differential GPS. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly how GBAS works. Uh, so, but I understand the I understand the uh, the theory. Okay, uh, onboard multimode receiver, a black box. It gets the ILS radar data, GBAS data, the plane's own GPS data. They all talk to one another. Well, this can be boiled down to the GBAS talking to the airplane, I believe through an ADSB link mm-hmm. to tell the airplane, you know, the, the pilot, here's exactly where you are in relation to this runway end, and then give them ILS-type guidance through a CDI. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I'm pushing you guys to the limits of your understanding of this stuff, well, so maybe I'll stop. Yeah, but, Lost, uh, uh, um, I'm kind of surprised we hadn't heard much more about Lost lately. Lost was originally designed as kind of a um, halfway point, I guess, between nothing and, and LOSS, wide area augmentation system. LAS LOSS would be used um, in a certain location for a certain period of time uh, to give it LOSS-like capabilities, but on a much smaller scale. Right. Uh, basically airport-specific as opposed to uh, area or, or region-specific. Um but I, I, GBAS, uh, I think Jack hit, hit the nail on the head early on. Is it sounds like something that that Honeywell has cooked up, and and they're trying to sell it, and they they managed to place this article. Um, once I hear start hearing about it from some other uh, organizations or in other venues, I might take it seriously. Yeah. Well, let's let well, me. Well, they, they've got Australia's attention for sure because Australia is buying the system for four of their big air carrier airports and the system's going to be able to serve multiple other airports within I think it was a 23 mile radius mm-hmm. and and their system could handle 46 simultaneous runway ends right right yeah well we I know we have at least a handful of listeners in Australia and I would invite them to educate us a little bit here if they're if they're familiar with the stuff and uh, let us know what's going on go into the forums and uh, or send us an audio message or something like that uh, telling us what's going on we'd love to hear about that well it, uh, it may be on uh, avionics news site and I'll see if I can find okay while you're looking let's we'll move along here um, sure. Although, Dave, I wanted you to talk about this next thing, so don't get distracted here. You've called okay. our attention to uh, what you've called where there's a will, there's a wing. Uh, apparently, a, a 14-year-old is working on a, uh, on a, uh, a, a building project that looks pretty cool. What, what's the story here? Uh, well, something I picked up uh, off the net from, uh, I'm not sure where, Oxford. Uh, I thought it was in New England. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it's in New England. Anyway, uh, young man, 14, Josh Wardwell, is picked up a project, an airplane project, from his uh, father, or grandfather, and is finishing off this, uh, and this is a model name, folks, Ragwing, uh, I believe it's going to be an ultralight, I might be wrong, but a 
Ragwing uh, kit airplane. Uh, he's been funding, building this airplane for himself with money, mowing people's yards. Uh, he's gotten some advice from some airplane mechanics. Uh, he's still raising money. Uh, to finish the airframe, and then he's got to raise money for the engine. Uh, I checked out the Ragwing Air website, and they they uh, have uh, I don't know almost a dozen different uh, designs that you can build, uh, mostly wood projects from the looks of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, you know, when I we've spent so much time talking about. Uh, you know, people who want to fly and they'd like to fly and they, they they don't see any way they can get over the cost or the lessons or uh, they can't see their way to owning an airplane. And here's a 14-year-old that's uh, right. uh, made his mind up and is uh, raising the money as he can doing side work that he wouldn't, necessarily, wouldn't otherwise have to do. And I'm hoping, you know, in a year or so to... Uh, Read where the young man has uh, got his ticket, got his airplane flying, and is mm-hmm. off. Uh, you know, he joined the Civil Air Patrol. He's active there, and kid could have a hell of a career. Yeah, yeah. And his his hero in aviation is our old friend Patty Wagstaff. So. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story, and uh, it appears to be Maine. Um, it appears to be the state, yeah, I think so. The state yeah. of Maine, and. Uh, and more power to him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, absolutely. That's and, uh, that's just, you know, every now and then you come across a story like that. And yeah. you just got to say, wow. Yeah. So here's an interesting story. And I've often sat, you know, because I'm doing all this flying lately, this, this commercial airline flying lately. And uh, you sit in there and you kind of look out the the uh, the, the window um, at the wings or whatever it is you can see out the windows. And you would just wonder what you would do you know, <laughs> if you saw something that was busted. This actually takes us back to the old twi- the classic Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner is a passenger and he sees a gremlin out on the wing trying to rip the, uh, the cowling off the engine and he can't oh, get anybody man. to take him seriously. Um, Sergeant, Staff Sergeant uh, Bartek, ba- ba- um, I apologize, ba- Baklada, Baheda, uh, was uh, flying home. We're sorry on- about your name. Sergeant. Yes, no, we're not sorry. We're sorry about our pronunciation of your name. Uh, was flying uh, on a jetliner, uh, and he looked out the window and he saw what he believed to be a fuel leak coming from uh, under the wing. And uh, and he's not like totally un un knowledgeable of this stuff because he was in fact a refueling boom operator. Uh, uh, based in Japan, so he knew a little bit about what fuel spraying into the atmosphere might look like, mm-hmm. and he thought the 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 the, the t- tank was leaking, and uh, apparently f- um, shot some video with it with his little hand camera, handy camera, and called the uh, the flight attendant over and said, "I think there's a leak out here." They were already flying; they were going, you know. I think there's a leak here. And, this is incredible. And uh, and the flight attendant said, "Oh no, sir! You know that's not what that is. Don't worry about it, sir. It's fine." Ma'am, right? you and, need to look out the window now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, to, speak to the captain. Whiskey, now. whiskey, tango, foxtrot, lady, woman, 
gentlemen, look out the window. See that? Yeah. That's not normal. So he went back and, and, you know, watched it a little bit longer and then called the flight attendant back again. And uh, according to the story, the phrase he used was, ma'am, it's an emergency. All right. You've got to inform the captain before we go out over the ocean. And that got her attention, uh, his or her attention. And uh, and apparently they sent the camera to the cockpit. And then one of the one of the uh, cabin or the cockpit crew looked at the video and and kind of got the message and they turned around and went back and landed doesn't that violate some tsa regulation well that's you know that's sending probably, a video camera to the cockpit yeah that's right well that's probably you know in in you know not to defend the flight attendants too much here because they should have been been much yeah. more responsive here but i would imagine they've got some pretty strict rules about carrying oh, messages yeah. from the cabin to the cockpit well and i would imagine that you know there's uh different constraints on coming and going from the cockpit now than there used to be yeah oh yeah yeah so i mean as i understand it they're not even supposed to open the door under right. under any circumstances so how'd they get the camera in there i don't know if there's a well they have a is there a pass-through or they have a kind of a pass-through for meals and other stuff yeah okay so uh and i'm wondering if the first officer then came out of the ca- out of the cockpit to come back and take a look out the window and this kind of thing you know i'd be interested in what the airplane was yeah, does it say it, here? It looks like a seven four winglet, maybe seven seven. I don't, I don't know, can't tell. I, I'm interested in trying to figure out which airline it is. I don't yeah. recognize those colors in that design. Yeah, let's see. The flight uh, was. Uh, it doesn't say. It's not real clear here. The story it, it we're says reading Chicago from. to Narita. Um, so it's either uh, maybe United, um, JAL. I don't know. Yeah, so. So I think it's an interesting example of, uh, it doesn't happen very often, where the passenger actually declared an emergency. And uh, I, hope, I hope the crew had the fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, if you follow the link from this story, there's uh, not much more detail, but there's an Air Force uh, site here where they talk about their airmen doing this the links in the story that you have the link to mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they also have a, a link to a high-res version of the photograph <laughs> uh everybody is new media savvy these days yeah everybody well everybody in the world carries a video camera these days you know so there's there's no you know everything's getting videoed now well anyway so um i you know i i've often wondered what how would i would you know what would i do if i saw something out there that looked a miss and uh good well, for this guy that he actually did yeah you you, and, you 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 do basically what this guy did and hopefully you'll get a a uh, a little bit more um uh interested flight attendant but uh, uh, I, i've told you all the story i had a similar something similar happened to me yeah the uh the icing uh, about the, I, yeah. the ice on, yeah the ice on the wing but yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, and you had a hard to, time getting their attention too air- right <laughs> actually no i hadn't I, had, I did not have a hard time at all um, Although you were on the ground easy, and the door was still open and it was relatively yeah, easy exactly, to, get, to get through. Exactly. Yeah, so. um, and, I mean, before I finished talking, the captain was sliding his seat back. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not hard at all. Yeah. Oh, because you were able to speak directly to the captain? Is that to, how it worked? To the captain. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, at least the airline, whatever one it was, uh, recognized the importance of the uh, sergeant and a uh, – and a, a fellow Air Force co-worker who was traveling with him, uh, they were placed in a nice hotel overnight. And then on the flight to Japan the next morning, the uh, carrier 
showed its appreciation by putting them in first class. I didn't hear that part. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, tiny little item here, but I think it's we've been talking a lot in recent days about uh, about alternative fuels, and uh, uh, I got an email uh, today from uh, the FBO I, I use up in uh, at Sanford, Maine, Southern Maine Aviation, and they have now. Um, set up one of their self-serve fuel pumps to pump uh, uh, auto gas, uh, MoGas. And uh, I don't know how common this is, but... Uh, I, I That's think really cool. Good for Southern Maine Aviation. Yeah, they're, uh, they've set aside one of the uh, self-service stations to uh, actually pump 93 unleaded. That's the fuel we were talking about also a few, a few, mm-hmm. a few episodes back. No, so, we were talking about 94UL aviation fuel. Oh, so that's different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this I, is just premium. This is premium on lead, and they're talking about. Okay, yeah, right. but it's yeah. alcohol it's free. Alco- no it's alcohol. alcohol free, and that's important. Right. Um, that's very important, as I'm learning. Yeah. Right, it's very important. But uh, uh, this is just premium on You know, <laughs> let me go off on a rant here. I don't know why in in the world even motorists can't be accurately advised of the ethanol and other content of the fuel they put in their vehicle. Uh, it's a crapshoot out there. And in fact, you know, you, you'll see a, a placard on the, on the gas pump that says this fuel may contain up to 10% ethanol. Well, you know, how about telling me when it doesn't contain any ethanol or the exact percentage of ethanol it contains? Because sometimes some vehicles don't run really well on ethanol and it's 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 i don't know why we don't have more better labeling on these things or or, or some other uh, kind of consumer protection but putting all that aside for the moment um <laughs> the, uh, the, the this is just premium on lead that's all this is mm-hmm. okay well, well then what's which, the difference between avgas be and i thought it would just had to do with you know leaded versus unleaded and octane ratings and so forth what what makes is avgas actually refined more carefully is it better fuel and yeah basically i mean for one thing it contains lead uh uh, tetraethyl lead and uh, that alone makes it uh uh, very distinctive from the crap that the crap that we're sold to burn in our cars um it it also has has a has a different vapor pressure uh so it evaporates less quickly than uh, auto fuel, and that's significant. Uh, but because we found out that that vapor pressure difference doesn't make any difference on low octane engines, uh, not carbureted ones at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, and I don't think there's any fuel injected low octane engines out there uh, well, because the EAA uh, proved this back in the early '80s when they uh, ran a Cessna 150, and that's a you know O200 Continental. Uh, for hundreds of hours with no modification, just burning uh, unleaded car gas. Mm-hmm. They finally got the first STC. And there for a while, it was not uncommon for airports to have a, you know an old beater fuel truck right, or uh, the smallest tank and uh, pump uh, uh, combination that they had on site uh, pumping uh, car gas mm-hmm. at the airport. And then we started to see a consolidation in the suppliers and some of the refiners' contracts started to uh, actively exclude the airport's ability to pump 
car gas anymore. Uh, oh. It happened to an airport where yeah. we were based, and we were buying mostly car gas for the Cherokee 140 because it had the STC to burn mo gas or uh, av gas or any blend, any combination of blend. And they had an old beater truck that had nothing but car gas in it, and it was about you know, 70, 80 cents a gallon cheaper. And they changed fuel suppliers, which means new signs and, you know, some new pumps and new stickers. And, oh, by the way, the contract prohibits them from pumping anybody's car gas. Well, it's a liability issue, but not if they didn't supply the freaking fuel. They're, they're, well, yeah. but then they get sued anyway. Then they got to prove it's not theirs. And, well, the city fathers signed the contract without really consulting with the airport manager. And we lost an asset. So we got this. Uh, yeah. So uh, Southern Maine is now pumping, or and, uh, they have it available on self serve. Uh, it was a funny email. The, the, they sort of buried the lead, all right, because the email started out being this big warning. It's like basically, you know, warning, warning. If you're buying self serve gas at Sanford, make sure you know that the, that the, the pumps on the west ramp are pumping hundred low lead, and the pumps on the east ramp are pump, pumping mo gas now. And just make sure you know what you're doing. And, and that's that, and that's important. It is important. A, but yes, uh, it was like sort of after the warning paragraph. They suddenly got down to a paragraph that said, "Oh, we're, you know, we're pleased to tell you that we're now pumping, uh, you know, eighty or whatever it is, ninety-three unleaded at the uh, over on the." You know, and I'm going, "Oh, well, that's cool. You know, that's pretty cool." I'm now I'm wondering whether or not that's what we're going to start fueling the gobosh with, um, or the two, the two. Uh, it should run fine on it. Uh, it's what I'm told, and the only reason they were putting hundred low lead into it is because that's what was available. And I wonder. I was going to say it's a Rotax nine twelve, right? Yeah, it's a nine twelve. Both that and the Valor are both Rotax nine twelve. Okay, 912s. so it'll run fine on the on a ninety. And so I'm curious whether they're going to completely change oh, yeah. it over. Can you mix the two? Is that okay? Is that kosher? Yeah, sure. You yeah. can. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. all right. Interesting. Interesting. Now, um, the next step to... will be, and maybe I'm getting way ahead of the game here, I want to find an airport someplace in America that's pumping swift fuel. Uh, well, luck with uh, that. that's, that's probably limited to someplace near uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. That's true. Right it's got to be someplace that's got – nobody's got an STC to do this openly, right? That's right, of course. We learned well, that. it's met the ASTM standards, I understand. Does that automatically make it okay to burn in your airplanes, or do you, does the airplane yeah. need to be specifically yeah. STC'd no, for – Oh, okay. It's an approved, well, I'm not sure now. If well, it depends, it, that depends on which standard it means. It's a standard or not. Yeah. I'm very interested in the Swift fuel thing. I'm going to do some research, and I'll report back more on that later on. Okay. Cool. Hey, uh, moving on here. Uh, so, Jeb, in the most recent issue, I think it's the most recent issue of, uh, of Aviation oh, Safety. Oh, I this. It is the, the most recent issue. issue. You, it's you, not, a, not on the yeah, uh, and and uh, and I'm not sure whether we can offer this to our listeners to read, um, but I did want to comment on the fact that that you had an interesting uh, little commentary on uh, an experience you had at a non-tower airport recently. Um, that, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, hell, he didn't even get to the non-tower. That's right. Yeah, I, and uh, yeah, I have to say, I, I didn't even didn't even get there. Can you give us the short um, version of the story, it, Jeb? What it happened? Not, it's not that big a deal in the scheme of things. The short version is uh, I was I was going to pop over to Wachula. Uh, on the get back from dropping uh, Dave at Tampa a couple of weeks ago, and uh, fill up with with cheap Hunter low lead, um, but um, as I motored off towards Wachula, you know I could hear the, the commotion in the in the pattern there, and it sounded like total chaos, and and just kind of decided to go on, uh, literally go on to the house, um, but 
it's the second time recently that I've I've kind of seen or heard drama like that in a in a non-towered airport traffic pattern. And it's it's just you know, some of this stuff isn't rocket science. I mean, one of the stories I'm telling here, there's a 182 doing a GPS approach into Venice. This was very early in the year, and uh, goes barging across the top of the airport at at about 600 700 feet AGL, um, and then you know turns and and enters the downwind, still you know several hundred feet low. And expects you know everybody to get out of the way for him, and then he goes off on some guy who was in front of him for going too slow, and and forcing the 182 to go around. Well, you know, you know when you come in there and, and upset the apple cart like that, um, don't expect everyone to accommodate you. We'll try, but at the same time, you know maybe you need to be a little bit more accommodating. Uh, it, the whole thing just kind of, um, I, I didn't say anything to the guy and, and yada, 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 but uh, um, the whole thing was just um, uh, very unprofessional. And same same with the stuff over at Wachula. Um, okay, so you get cut off. Um, you know, no one, no one meant to do that. Um, but, you know, uh, then again, we shouldn't be cutting people off. So I, I don't know. There's just a lot well, going on there. And, and, and had, the, had the other thing, couple. too, is we all have – we just have to be careful out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I had similar experiences at uh, Newton, Kansas, uh, north of Wichita here. Uh, I believe Newton is EWK. And uh, my hometown, Indiana Airport, Juliet Victor Yankee, both of which have ILSs both of which tend to draw a lot of practice traffic. Uh, Motoring into these two airports at different times, the winds significantly favored the runway opposite the ILS. Nonetheless, we had people on the the ILS practicing, Mm -hmm. instrument students. Uh, To my recollection, uh, nobody got their nose out of joint because everybody – communicated and aviated okay the ILS student knew that there was traffic using the opposing runway he announced his intentions to break off the approach uh, at the inner marker in fact and then he was going to go to the mist which was going to put him climbing out in the face of arriving traffic which should be arriving below him but then turning immediately to go north uh, to go northeast uh, which would take him across the uh, take him across the uh, uh, pattern for the runway that he was flying, not the pattern for the runway that we were actually using. It was left hand traffic, so arriving for three six at Juliet Victory Yankee, we're on the west side of the airport. Uh, he was on the ILS. He didn't fly the pattern, uh, so the only pattern he disrupted was one for the runway we weren't using anyway. But the fact that everybody there, and these are both uncontrolled airports, uh, Juliet Victor Yankee in particular, kind of busy. Uh, quite a number of based business jets, uh, about 400 airplanes based there, a lot of transient traffic. Uh, nobody got their shorts in or not, but everybody was all business. Now, I heard a guy bitch and moan on the ground about the instrument student not knowing better than to be out there flying practice in the face of opposing traffic. Uh, 
that everybody was on the wavelength, including the uh, approach control that was handling the airport. Mm. Uh, so I looked at it as no harm, no foul, and you know, if, if you if you got an issue, well, at least you brought it up at the right place, on the ground and off the freak. Do you think that this is a is this a a, a lack of training, or is this just a handful of people with a bad attitude? Yes, uh, lack of maturity, maybe more like it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, and uh, in, in the first instance at Wachula, I mean, a couple of those were, uh, I think, clearly training flights. And I think the instructors were, um, you know, concentrating on a lot of different things and, and uh, um, not so much worried about, um, n- well, let me put it another way. They weren't focused on the pattern as much as they perhaps should have been. Um, the uh, the cap flight stuff, I, you know, who knows what they were up to. Um, but this this guy shooting the... Uh, um, Shooting the GPS approach in Venice, I, um, it's a busy pattern. Uh, there's a great, you know, it's like like uh, um, Jeffersonville. There's a uh, pretty good mix of traffic. You'll have jets, turboprops, helicopters, and fixed wing, uh, piston fixed wing, going in and out of there. Um, <clears throat> on a on a sunshiny day, there's no reason to go barging into the pattern uh, 700 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, I don't know. Oh well. Yeah, well, I, non-tower airport. I I like working out. I flying in and out of non-tower, non-tower airport. I mean, I remember. Um, um, gosh, when was it? Maybe oh one, yeah, two thousand. I don't know. Remember when I was coming up out of Sun and Fun? Had two passengers. Was dropping one of them in uh, Eastern Tennessee, uh, near Knoxville, and um, I come bombing in there. Um, a couple of uh, a couple of hours after leaving Sun and Fun, and um, there's a 150 poking around in the pattern, and I come smoking in and say, "Hey, you, you know, you go on in, I'll be fine. You know, I'll, I'll just hang out here behind you." And he says, "No, no, you're faster than I am. Uh, I'll get out of your way." And he turned and he left the pattern. I was like, "You know, okay, fine, I appreciate it, but not necessary." And, uh, you know, he came back around again and, and landed, and everything was cool. There wasn't any reason for him to do that, um, but uh, he felt like doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you get all kinds. Yeah. You get all kinds. Yeah. But. So, the big, I guess the big aviation story in the news this past week or so has been uh, the NTSB hearings that have been going on uh, around uh, the, uh, yeah. the Buffalo Colgan air crash. And, and, and oh, I don't know boy. if I'm going to rehash this much. You know, this has been been beaten to death i guess and i just you know we sort of talked about this a long time ago the whole point the yeah. the whole reason that these ntsb hearings are the way they are is because there's an agenda here and they're trying to you know sell a story but sure. but these pilots are just coming off looking real bad this is just yeah a, they are they they just um, you know i not to make not to make light of of the dead because you know it's a terrible terrible tragedy but boy they just screwed up it looks like it, it it really it really does, and it's it's um, as I wrote to you guys in, in our you know kind of our planning notes here. It's it's just a a failure of basic airmanship. I think I know the thought process that was going on, but and, and I, I, we've discussed it. I think the guy was thinking he had a tailplane stall. Yeah, that's been the um, the uh, because, hypothesis for some yeah, time now, be, and, uh, because of the way he reacted, uh, and in the plane that he was accustomed to flying. Uh, but that he was not flying, 
uh, that particular day. Um, the, the airplane that he had been flying was more susceptible, I think, uh, to tailplane ice, or he had been trained specifically to recover the airplane in that fashion. But uh, that's not what was happening in, in, uh, in the accident um, uh, event, in the accident sequence. The airplane was legitimately stalling. And his actions exacerbated it. You know, there's, there's, I guess, three, three failures here of basic airmanship. One, letting the airplane get slow enough that it would go into stick pusher mode. Two, failing to recognize um, all of that. And then three, applying the exact wrong correction. Um, all of, all of this is, is, is. Um, uh, at least according to the NTSB information we've seen, all of this is basically laid at the feet of the captain. Uh, it is a, it is a two person crew, and they and they you know one of them should have been monitoring the other one you know the the dog the pilot and the uh, uh, and the autopilot, but it didn't happen this time, and uh, uh, it's just it's just a bad situation all the way around. Well, it made me wonder watching the animation, and yeah. I'd been following the hearings. I used to have the privilege of occasionally covering a two or three day NTSB hearing like this and remember what the drill is like and it could be mind numbing to listen to this detail because it's delivered factually, calmly pretty much without emotion Uh, and then you see the animation and the animation is built out of the flight data recorder information. Right. You know, this is not this is not uh, subjective in any way. This is what the airplane was doing: power settings, flap settings, gear settings, uh, autopilot status, uh, the the movement of the controls. And I watched this about four times and began to wonder whether the lack of a pusher, a stick pusher on the sob might have been an issue here because when the when the airplane went from shaker mode, stick shaker, into stick pusher, whether the guy didn't believe that the right. stick pushing forward was because of a tailplane stall. R- right. And right. is trying to counter it without the automatic recognition that, no, this is the airplane telling us that we need to go faster. Right. Well, he's thinking that the airplane is is uh, this this stick over is because the tailplane just stalled. The right, airplane's right. pitching yeah. over. But and again, he's doing again, exactly what his muscle memory had him wired to do. Yeah, but again, what's the what you know? The way I've been trained, or, or I would hope the way the rest of us have been trained too, is you know when something like that begins to develop, and of course you've got a space of a couple of seconds to recognize it and do something about it. But when something like that does begin to develop, to develop, um, what else are you going to do? Okay, you're going to bring gonna the power. Pa- I'm going to be in power big time. And I, I'm, at that yeah, speed I want to. That's exactly. Exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it simultaneously. My eyes are going to the airspeed indicator. My right arm's going to the power, and I'm yep. I'm going to you know find out what's going on real quickly. Um, he didn't do that, and in fact, from the way I saw the video, there was a momentary pull up. Uh, the airplane reacted, and then there was another 
pull up. Yeah. Uh, and that's where where you know where it broke. And that's when that's when it was all over. Yeah. Back. Yeah. And, yeah. And if this um, thing, you know, that's when it went into the stall spin and right. Right. And if this thing uh, wasn't ugly enough to begin with, it's made even uglier by the fact that these these two pilots were apparently pretty pretty cavalierly violating the sterile cockpit rules and what they were talking about when they shouldn't have been chatting was how little experience they had flying in the ice right i mean this is just craziness well it it, listening to the transcript well reading the transcript i should say reading the transcript and then seeing the animation and putting those together in my mind and i messaged jeb back with this is i'm getting the picture of a flight crew who head was never completely in the game and or was significantly behind the airplane from about the time that they got the uh, arrival clearance. Yeah, right. Clear to 2300, hold that until you stabilized on the approach. Uh, because at that point, you know, they made the turn, but they're still on autopilot. Uh, their brain was never really... Yeah. So with the airplane, where the airplane actually was at the time, right? What, yeah. what what lesson can we take from this? Is there some something good that can fly the airplane? Yeah. Fly the airplane. Fly you, the you airplane. Think it's that fly simple? the airplane. You think it's that? Well, simple? no, but you, you, I mean, you asked. For, I, I took your question to be one of asking for one simple moral story out of this, and and to me, that's what it is. Obviously, the the phrase "fly the airplane" applies not only in in all cases, but. Uh, is a very simplistic uh, answer to the to the overall question of how to prevent this. Um, the the flip side of which is, if someone in the crew had been watching the store and paying attention to the airspeed decay, um, and and say, you know, um, you want me to bring the power up for you, or something like that, um, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'm yeah. sorry, but. I'll, I'll, I'll take forgiveness ahead of permission. If forgiveness means that I'm well, jamming I mean, those throttles back up into it, the torque curve. Those engines I've, were I've quite I've seen idle. this. I've seen this in, in other crews where there's an FO and a captain, and um, you know the, the FOs <clears throat> see something he doesn't like, and the politics of the situation, putting aside uh, uh, you know crew resource management and putting aside. Um, all the assertiveness training that, that FOs have seen over the years, you still have to do it in a politically correct way. And, and you say, hey, you know, can I help you out a little bit here and bring some power up for you? Or, um, um, gee, that airspeed seems like it's getting a little bit low. Um, uh, are we, we sure we're the stall horn now? Well, right. You know, what the f- oh, Pardon my French. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Somebody's got to be minding the store here. I'm sorry. And no one was doing it. Um, You know, I've often said um, um, one of the most dangerous things in aviation is is two pilots trying to fly the same airplane at the same time. We've just discovered that another dangerous thing is no one flying the airplane. Flying the airplane at the same time. That's right. Shout outs. So... uh Let's see now. I've got two. You guys got any you want to talk about here? I want to. Uh, I want to send a shout out to listener uh, Falcon One Two Four, um, who uh, posted in our forums area a really cool story that he. Uh, 
uh, about a flight that he got to go on, an impromptu acro training flight that uh, that he went on. And uh, I won't rehash it here, but it's a great little story, and I urge people to go take a look. Uh, he had a really great, great afternoon uh, doing some uh, upside-down flying, so that was kind of cool. And uh, and also a shout-out to our friend uh, Stephen Force of the Airspeed Podcast, who uh, he's just going nuts. He's just having such a fun time these days. With he's airplanes. really having too much fun. But uh, he's now added Seaplane to his ratings, and uh, apparently he had uh, spent one afternoon at the uh, Seaplane base down at Sun and Fun, and that tipped him over the edge, and he said, oh, I have to do this. And so <laughs> he's, he re- rushed out when he got home and went and got a Seaplane rating, and uh, so now he's got that on his ticket. And, uh, and he was just down in... Uh, I think Texas, I think, uh, flying a T6 of some sort. I'm not sure if it's a T6 Texan like we flew, Jeb. I think I get the feeling it's a little bit more sophisticated. Mm. Is there a, a mm. newer th- aircraft called a T6? Mm. We're going to have to get the details here. From seeing the pictures <laughs> I saw, it didn't look like a t- T6 that we flew. But he was down there. He got some duel in a in a serious uh, uh uh, Jet or piston? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But uh, we're, we're going to learn more about this. Uh, he met up okay. with Will Hawkins down T-46? there. T-46? I don't think so. We'll have to go to his website here. Let me see if I can find it real quickly. Uh, T-28? No, 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 no. Hang on. I'm sorry. Let me just find it here real quickly. Airspeedonline.blogspot.com. <laughs> Oh, no, it is a Texan. The, 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 the cockpit shot doesn't look. Go to uh, airspeedonline.blogspot.com, and you'll see a oh, picture. Okay. 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 Um, I'm just now getting a chance to look at the video. I'm reading from his blog posting uh, at the video from the T6A Texan 2 ride, uh, and to start parsing out the pieces that are going to go into the video that he sh- these. Oh, wait a minute. He got a T6 Texan 2 ride. Yes. Now, what kind okay, of aircraft is that? That's a trainer. That's a turboprop. Oh, that's the uh, single. That's the current production. Uh, okay, that's the primary trainer for the Air Force and the Navy flight cadets both. Yeah. Right okay. Here. Now oh, I'm picturing. Okay, it is a T6 Texan, but it's not the Texan that we flew. It's the new Tech Texan two. It's Texan two. Is that a, right? a Pilatus? Who makes that airplane? I hate when they do that. Uh, Raytheon. Raytheon airplane. Okay. Well, well, it's what it is. Is it's a very highly updated and strengthened Pilatus PC-9. Okay, yeah. Horsepower, uh, airframes been strengthened for higher stress and uh, armored for bird strikes because of the amount of low altitude time. Uh, they raised the back seat a little bit, gave it uh, electronic flight deck, uh, increased the horsepower about 66%. Uh Updated the ejection seats and sold it to the military back in the, uh, well, when I was still at the Wichita Eagle. Yeah. Uh, well, let's not turn this into yet another record-breaking uh, shout-out, but uh, <laughs> but uh, we're all jealous of Steve and all the uh, the flying experiences he's having, and uh, we should all keep an ear out for an episode, I'm sure, what will be an upcoming episode of the Airspeed Podcast, where he tells us more about this adventure. I'd love uh, to hear it. Looks pretty cool. You guys get any other shout-outs? I don't. No, I, do. I don't. Go ahead, Go David. Ahead. I got a real quick one, and I'm going to take this up, folks, when we do the next episode, which is 136, correct? Yeah. Uh, okay, and this is all you nice folks in the forum section. Uh, this got started by Eagle Pilot back uh, on May 7. 
The TSA stands for, question mark, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. and it's an attempt to help me out with my occasional need to identify them without using their actual name. Because you haven't managed to come up with enough disparaging versions on your own. Right. But, you know, uh, the terminally scatological aggrandization doesn't really roll off the tongue. Uh, Eagle Pilot started the ball rolling with theatrical scaremonging aggrandizers, which I kind of like, but it's tough on the tongue, too. <laughs> That's a, a lot, it's a lot of syllables. Other of you folks have kicked in your suggestions. Uh, Ruckin has uh, kicked in some. Pilot Bill from Texas. Eagle Pilot came up with even more. Scoffrey Jets had some. Uh, so if anybody wants to weigh in with more, we're going to highlight the top ten picks when we do the next episode. Cool. Sounds cool. Okay. Great. Well, all right. Definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Dave Higdon, he is a, uh, you are, he is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internets? Oh, avbuyer.com. Look for the World Aircraft Sales issues at the bottom of the page and click. You'll find me all over the place. Uh, av, let's see, aea.net and avionics news and something called aviation safety that's right you've become a regular uh, contributor over there just about every issue it'll come to me yeah yeah and you're getting the cover these days too it's like well we went uh, out specifically to shoot that so that's the pictures that you guys took when you were flying down to tampa yeah. yes oh cool yeah. okay and jeb burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine where can people find you on the net jeb AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, every now and then, uh, pop up on AvWeb.com, and we are going to one of these days do my personal website. I might, I might. While well, you got some time this week, Jack, <laughs> yeah, I might call on your. Uh, we'll get on the phone uh, together and we'll fix your yeah, website. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. As always, a big thanks goes out to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Also, a thanks to the many of our listeners, and particularly to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl for the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit all with visit with all of us. Easy for me to say. Visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled <laughs> Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, and a lot more. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? You want to live longer. You want to live well. Go flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. There you go. That's enough talking for tonight. Let's go flying. I really hope the crew had to fish. TTFN. TTFN.